Welcome to the Inside Supreme Med Podcast, the podcast where I explore all the places you can go in healthcare. Hey everyone, welcome to the Inside Supreme Med Podcast. For this episode, I got the chance to talk to Zach of MD Motivator. He is a first year medical student over at the University of Sydney in Australia. And we talk about his experiences trying to get into med school, some of the struggles he's overcome, and any advice that he had for aspiring physicians out there. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Indecisive Pre-Med. I'm your host, Alex. And today I have uh, Zachary of MD Motivator here with me. Hey, Alex. Thank you for having me on board, man. I'm super pumped up for this. Yeah, of course. And just to like kind of let everyone know, just tell me a little bit about yourself, like, because I know I know you through Instagram, so I want to see like my audience gets to know you better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. So my name is Zachary Darnowski. Um, I am from Canada. I'm a dual citizen with Canada and the U.S. And I'm a first year medical student now at the University of Sydney in Australia. Cool, cool. Yeah. So um, just to kind of like give us a little bit of an example, like not example, like a little bit of background through your, like your undergrad experience, if that's great, if that's okay. Absolutely. So my story, so like that's kind of, so on Instagram, they call, I, mean, I call myself self-proclaimed MD motivator. So my story is I was a typical high school student who didn't have to study hard and was able to do well. And I took my cocky self to my, my uh, undergrad degree in my freshman year. And my freshman year, I wasn't structured. Um, I procrastinated. I thought I could do the same habits that worked in high school and then apply them now to undergrad. And I, essentially, I had all this freedom and no structure, which led me down a vicious cycle of doing p- very poorly. Um, as I know some students can probably relate to that, whether it's having Fs, whether it's Ds, whether it's Cs, just essentially not living up to your potential. So. I put that in the back of my mind for the first year and it just getting worse and worse and worse. And at the end of my freshman year, I looked at my, my transcript and it said required to withdraw. My GPA was 0.59 GPA. I had nine Fs. And I, that was at the only point within eight months that it like clicked that something's bad here. So I, at that point, I was still believing that I would be okay. So I called the dean of my program and I said, dear, so, 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 so my name is da, 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 da. This is my story. Um, is there anything I can do to get reinstated back in the program? And I'll never forget these words. And I use these words in a lot of my Instagram posts or I use them in my TikToks because I think they're really, um, they were like, that was like my lowest point. He said, Mm -hmm. Zach, college probably just isn't right for you. And I'll never forget hanging up that phone, going downstairs to the kitchen table, seeing my mom at the kitchen table and my dad who had no idea of the situation, telling my mom who's a teacher, a great school teacher, super proud about being educational background, crying away from the dinner table. My dad told me to pack my bags and just move out. And the credible dean told me I can't do college. My parents lost respect for me. Most importantly, at that point, I let myself down. So that was like my ultimate low. And yeah, I'm aware that I could be a good student if I did all these things. Sure, 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 I can get there. But at that point, so much uncertainty, it just inhibits you to want to do anything. That makes sense. It stunts your growth. So I'll never forget that moment. Um, So I unfortunately then had to go and I had to do a year of undeclared um, to get reinstated back into a program of my choosing. So that year was challenging because I lost a lot of friends. Um, I stopped going out with the cool people. I started studying more. I started uh, networking with my professors. I started talking to TAs. I started asking questions before class. Um, I started studying in study blocks. I started using an agenda. Um, Essentially, 
it wasn't, it seemed like it was overnight, but it was more of a momentum thing, right? Once right. I started doing the right things, more opportunities came forth. So over that year, that was really my transition year. And I stayed over three in that 3.0 in that year. And then once I was reinstated back into the program, which I ended up graduating with kinesiology, health sciences, uh, I was a 4.0 student for the rest of my degree. Then I did a post-bac, uh, 18 month post-bac, which I got a 4.0. And then I scored over the 90th percentile the first time on the MCAT. Um, and then I applied to medical school and then I had this gap where I had like 18 months before medical school started. I'm like, holy smokes, I have a story and I know people can relate. So let me see what happens on Instagram and social media. Let me share it because there's nothing worse than seeing a perfect 4.0 student, a 528 student, them trying to give you advice when you're feeling like crap and they don't know what it feels like. Yeah. Because the number one thing in life is when you can relate to someone, you mm -hmm. can empower them. So right. I, I, instead of just use this, this, like any struggle you go through, any imperfection, is not about you it's about you getting through that because then you can help hundreds or you can help thousands and right. I've come to realize that and I'm assuming you you're you speak from that too in terms of like trying to empower others mm -hmm. um, through learning about a multitude of perspectives so uh, now I'm a first-year medical student it's the four and a half months into the program here at the University of Sydney because um, so, we start in January yeah. and oh, really? I'm probably gonna get Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, so, really? I didn't know they started in January. Yeah, cool. we started in January because the seasons are flipped, right? So we're entering almost winter months coming up. Oh, right, right. It's like, that's why I have a sweater on right now because it's like almost winter, <laughs> but it's not that cold. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my story of where I am to today. And cool. that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like that you talked about like this idea of like, how when you were in high school, like you were able to coast by and then like as I did too, that's, that's where I was in high school. And once you transition to college, like having that struggle, like have you noticed that with like with a lot of people or like, or like what are things that you, you wish you could say, you could have done that or tell someone that probably might be going through that transition? Yeah. So at one point I was thinking of starting a program to help troubling students mm -hmm. like the students that were like me first year yeah. or it's like screw it but it's like you can't force someone to do something they don't want to do right mm -hmm. so the student that was in my shoes i can never speak to this mm -hmm. the, the sophomore the junior version of me that's the person i want to speak to or even the ambitious high school student mm -hmm. not aware of the things so i think there's tons of things you can tell those students right yeah so obviously um study like an, an agenda agenda is number one so people like to do to-do lists but i think blocking in your hours um mm -hmm. starting off with these macro goals and then breaking down them more microscopically as you get better at structuring number two i'm um, an accountability partner so people say study partner you don't need to be studying the same thing but if i'm going to the library from 9 a.m to 1 p.m and we both are doing six pomodoro study blocks mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're studying geometry and i'm studying biology i don't I, right. you, you want someone who's just as motivated or as focused as you are so it doesn't matter if it's studying doesn't matter if it's the gym doesn't matter if it's saving money these mm -hmm. are all things that you can use across your whole life right so that right. structured accountability um not being afraid to ask for help that's another thing that i was very uh I was a good student. I'm like, I don't need to ask. I'll just go and learn. I'll self-learn. I'll self-learn. It's like, you should surround yourself with people who are 20, 30% ahead of you so you can expedite the process of mm -hmm. getting better, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. People, I think that's an extremely important thing as well. But I can go on for days about things, but that was no, extremely that, important. Yeah, no, I love to hear that because like that's um, cause that's the thing that I personally noticed. Like, I don't know, because my like a little bit of my, my own story too is like I kind of, I came into college like kind of thinking, okay, I can coast. I, you know, I'm smart enough. I, I studied sort of, but I didn't have like a structure. 
and how I studied. So, and I did okay my first semester of college. Like I got like A's and B's mostly. But then my Good. second semester, I had one class and I never really had a class that really challenged me. So it was like a weird feeling. Like I'm like, oh shoot. And I dropped the class luckily, you know, just cause, cause I was an engineering program originally. And I was kind of like struggling with my own, like some mental health issues at that point. Cause I didn't re- realize I was struggling with that. Cause I just kept distracting myself for a long time. Yep. And then once that kind of overcame and I was like, like you were saying, um, not willing to seek help for anything. So that, that, cause I'm just, I just grew up a certain way where I was like, I can have to do things on my own, you know, stuff like that. And then eventually it just led to the spiral of like not getting great, good grades, just like barely passing classes. And like, mm-hmm. now I'm like this upward trying to recover from everything from all that, which has been yeah. kind of a struggle, but it's like, you know, slowly finding yeah. those techniques. But yeah, yeah. No. There's, that's the thing you said, which I think is awesome. There's no quick fix. Mm-hmm. So whether it's high school transition to undergrad, uh, undergrad can transition to post-bac or master's, post-bac master's transition to MCAT, MCAT to med school. There's always going to be changes and you need to be always okay with remaining flexible. So there's things that I've been implementing the last two, three weeks in medical school that I've never done before because I've been extremely yeah. uncomfortable doing it. But yeah. I noticed that they're working, so I'm going to do more of them. So you want to be flexible and you want to track the progress of study things that you implement or anything, right? I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, definitely. And actually, I was curious, um, what made you decide to go to Australia for med school? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a question I get often. It's like, you did really well in the MCAT, you did well in the rest of your degree and post-bac. Why did you go to the University of Sydney? Um, in my undergrad, when I didn't explain this part to you, um, in my junior year, I did an exchange program in Melbourne, Australia at Deakin University, where I traveled abroad for four months and I studied. Um, to do a a semester abroad and when i went there i fell in love with australia Mm. and i told myself that i'm gonna not just go back to study medicine i'm ultimately gonna live my life here so people always ask me how am i gonna transition back into north america Mm. i'm making it more hard on myself i'm not because i don't plan on doing that they have a shortage of doctors here it's easy to get permanent resident status um so that is exactly what i'll plan on doing and then why the university of sydney uh, it's ranked uh, within, like, I think, the top 16 or 17 in the world. It's universal. It's a really good program. So I knew that it was going to provide me an awesome opportunity. Additionally, this year they started a new curriculum, which is the 2020 MD curriculum. Only the University of Sydney and Harvard have, which really? I thought was obviously a very attractive. Just you just hear that you're like, oh my god, what is the, what is the curriculum? Yeah. Um, we were in hospitals from the first week. Uh, so one day a week in year one, we were already in the hospitals working directly with patients, not paid actors or our students. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's been a little suppressed. We just got back mm-hmm. in a few weeks ago with all COVID that happened. Obviously, right. the situation, but. That was something, um, so usually how medical school works is it's like it's two years preclinical, two years clinical, like two and two. Um, Here in Australia, it's one year preclinical, and then it's like three years clinical, essentially, Mm -hmm. if you want to think of it like that. So it's a lot more preclinical, it's a lot more work for us Mm -hmm. right now. Um, But with COVID going on, it's actually made it kind of easier in the sense Mm -hmm. that we can work from home. So there's no like socializing at school. There's no like downtime. So like in that sense, if you're structured and you're motivated, it's easier. But as you know, studying Mm -hmm. from home is easier said than done, even if you have the hours today, right? Yep, definitely. Yeah. And like, that's interesting. You brought up the whole um, people saying, oh, it's hard to transition back to the U.S. Like, why do you think that is like when you were? Oh, it's easy. 
absolutely. So if you study maybe at St. George or you study at a Caribbean medical school or you study in Ireland or you study in Australia, when you apply back, say you're from the U.S. and you want to get a residency position in the U.S., mm -hmm. you would be considered an IMG, so International Medical Graduate. Mm -hmm. So there are specific slots that are available to you as a residency applicant that are different from the domestic slots. Right. Um, they're obviously going to be less available competitive specialty slots. Mm -hmm. um, but you can still do it. Um, and that goes into the next conversation if you want to have about the USMLE changing to pass fail. But that's, that's another thing we can talk that, about. That's but a whole other thing. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to play out because we haven't even seen a class go through that. But as of now, that would be something that's important to know. And if you want to think about ranking, if I was planning on going back to the US, Australia has the highest match rate of uh, IMGs in the world. So if I wanted to, or, or Canada. Um, right. So that's an important facet as well. So if you're thinking about Maybe I can't get into a Canadian or U.S. school, but I am open to staying in Australia, but I would ideally like to go back home. Australia is a good bet. Even if you want to think about it from a financial aspect, people see yeah. the number, it looks like it's expensive, but the Australian dollar is a lot less than the U.S. dollar. So it equates out, and obviously it's Australia. Who wouldn't want to come right. to Australia? Definitely. And like, what are some challenges that you noticed when you were going through like that transition from Canada to Australia in terms of like maybe yeah. finances or anything like that? Yeah, so it, it, medical school, I don't care where you go to, it's expensive and it's going to require um, most likely, like unless you come from money or you've saved hundreds of thousands, which I don't know many 22 or three or four year olds that have. Yeah. Maybe are some non-traditionals that are like 40 that maybe have, but you need to take out professional student, student lines of credit. Mm -hmm. And you need to require government funds. And that doesn't just mean go to the bank and say hi. That means you're probably going to have to sit down with your parents or loved ones and have this conversation. They're not going to want to initially probably co-sign for hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? That's at a very uncomfortable position if they're able to. Mm -hmm. um, so not expecting that and really having that one-on-one -on -one conversation of how you're going to contribute and how you're going to do your part and how you're going to keep them updated. It's like, there has to be that. Otherwise you're asking a lot, right? So I, I know people who have, their parents have remortgaged their homes to, to allow them to go to medical school. And that's, that's, that, that's incredible, but that they've sacrificed so much already to the age you're at. And if they're going to be willing to do that next step, that's obviously an important conversation to have. I know the money's good. You're going to pay it back. You can pay it back, right. but to get there, you need help, you need support. Mm -hmm. And right. I think that's a really understated thing of having that, that conversation early on to make them aware that you're gonna probably need to co-sign, that you're not gonna be able to do this all on your own, right? Right, definitely. I feel like that's like kind of like a, something that's like there, like the, the idea of like, okay, there's a lot of debt to come in when they're out of school. Mm -hmm. But like that conversation you're saying, like it's never really like brought up, at least from like what I've seen. And it goes back to make this whole socioeconomic status issue, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it takes money to make money in the sense that like, if you come from an underprivileged family who has a low credit score, you're most likely not be able to get the loans. So you can't go to medical school. I think there's a lot to say about that too, or you're limiting your chances, right? Cause there's right. probably less schools you can apply to that have maybe scholarships or funding opportunities. But I think that's a whole nother thing that can be, that's not my forte to talk about, but I think that's it's, it's insane mm -hmm. as that is as well. I don't think um, that's fair. Definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, I, I saw I noticed like since I met you through um, Instagram and TikTok, like I'm curious how did you get started on that, and like what kind of motivates you to keep yeah. going with that? Absolutely, man. So I started Instagram, I think about 18 months ago. Um, I essentially just one day posted my transcripts for my freshman year. So mm -hmm. I didn't say that during my initial talk to you, but so like I filled out a 
university my freshman year. And what I did was I printed out those transcripts. I framed them and I put them by my bed and I put them in my bathroom. So every morning I woke up, every night I went before bed, I'd always remind myself that this is what I've done. This, this, this is what I need to do. So I don't care if I got a 4.0 or hundred on a test, this is still the bed I made and I need to do so much more work to make up for that. Mm. So I use that. I'm like, you know what? Let me just post my transcripts. Let me just explain my story. Then I had a few students, some random students. I don't even remember their names specifically. Just reach out and express their story. They're like, I had a 1.7 GPA this, this semester, or this is what my situation is. And they would like send me like an essay, almost a couple paragraphs. And I just remember being so caught off guard that someone opened up to me on Instagram mm-hmm. But I've never known them before and they're sharing their story and I instantly sent like this giant audio message or video message back I forget what I did but I was just so into like oh my god like this is what I would do this and then I'm like this is a perfect platform to reach students mm-hmm. Instagram and TikTok why do I use these um, Instagram obviously because it's the number one social media platform but who uses it the most teenagers and university students right TikTok that is an undersaturated platform that it's a perfect opportunity to join. And who is that market? 18 to 24 year olds. Who am I trying to empower? 18 to 24 year olds. I don't care about TikTok. I don't care about Instagram. But if your market's there, if you're trying to help people, that's an awesome way to do so. So wow. that's essentially, I was extremely uncomfortable starting TikTok, to be honest with you, two weeks ago. But I'm very happy I did. And I get students on there all day sending me like their, their stories and opening up, which is which is awesome, 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 awesome. So I don't know if you know of MCAT Bros. So after my MCAT, I started working for MCAT Bros um, for a couple months, and then I did my own thing, because I I was like, thank you, Raj, this is an incredible opportunity, Um, did my own thing, and then a few months later, I started, Exam Crackers reached out to me. Um, So I started being the uh, first and only MCAT mentor through Exam Crackers, you can go on their website, you can see my my link. So I've been doing that, working one-on-one with students, and I was fortunate enough as well to travel throughout the US and speak and speak at colleges and explain my story and explain what I would do differently. And that was probably the most fun I ever had during my gap time. And I Mm -hmm. wished I could do that full time. That's kind of what I want to do is like get my MD and like practice, but I, I want to give back in that way, like working with colleges. And I think that's Mm -hmm. uh, my true calling. Um, So yeah, yeah, that's kind of a little more information than you asked, but there it is. No, no, that's awesome. That's that's really cool that that you got to speak in the U S like, and travel for that. Um, so like what's been like the most impactful experience from doing throughout your time doing Instagram, like maybe besides like the first reach out and mm-hmm. TikTok. Maybe we can take tackle separately because I feel like TikTok and Instagram are two different beasts at times. There's tons, there's tons. So in terms of giving back, um, helping thousands of students that then getting messages, that's probably the biggest thing. Like I love working one-on-one with my MCAT students through exam crackers. Don't get me wrong and seeing them succeed, but having a free platform to give free advice and free personalized messages, like giving that, um, I think that's one awesome. Two, growing to where I've been now at Instagram, I can message medical students, residents, doctors that I've never met anywhere in the world and open up and express my interest in maybe that field or maybe coming to shadow or maybe asking them a specific question about anything like my ACL surgery. Um, there's a doctor on Instagram, his name is Dr. Nima. He was, a, was the orthopedic surgeon for the Los Angeles Lakers. And I just asked him about my ACL issue and he gave me a full blown paragraph response. Like, like Instagram is, is incredible for that. And before, I'm not sure if you're aware, like before I went to medical school, I used to do four to five Instagram lives a week. Like I used to just really? them up 
with, with yeah, with, 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 with medical students, residents, doctors, like every night, an hour, an hour a night, people coming in Q and A's. So it wasn't just me getting my questions answered, but it, like, as you know, Instagram lives, everyone can feed off each other. And it's not just that hour, it's now you have a new, like new, new network, networking opportunities. Right. People find these shadowing opportunities so challenging reach out to a doctor or resident in a professional way if mm-hmm. they're close by or, or you, you really look up to them because of X, A, B, and C or X, Y, and Z and see what they say. So I think yeah. this is a priceless opportunity wherever you are in this whole pre-med to practicing continuum. Mm. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I really like how you talk about the whole Instagram. Like we just reach out to someone and it's just like you get a response because I've had that experience. Explain how this podcast works. Explain how this podcast works. Oh. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so to answer that question so when i was starting the podcast originally i was reaching out to like a lot of different people med students primarily med students because i wanted to start with medical uh with md and all that and so i reached out to zach here i just said hey i have a podcast coming up do you want to just join and then i just we just started messaging each other on um i think i replied to one of your stories and you replied to my question we were like cool and um we actually record at at the recording of the podcast this was like planned maybe like half an hour so we literally just like, I just sent yeah. the link and we just hopped on and then now we're here. Hey, where are you located again? You're in the States. Where in the States are you? Oh, uh, Wisconsin. So he's in Wisconsin. I'm in Sydney. 20 minutes ago, let's do a podcast. Now yeah. we're just doing a podcast. Now we're, we're networking yeah. in this. Like it, it's, the internet itself is incredible. Obviously, Instagram mm-hmm. and TikTok are a great tool. Yep. But we're in a really uh, crazy day and age where we can really use these social media for, for good. For really, you can right. use it for real good. Definitely. So. Yeah, because especially the empowering people, because I feel like, um, at least like for my experience in high school, like I did not know any, because I'm first gen, so like no one of my family has gone to med school, or or like or really a four year, except my cousins, luckily. But um, like in my direct family, like my mom, parents, all that, they didn't go to college, so I was just like out here on my own. And even now, I think I started my my Instagram like last year, and like even then I started learning more and more, especially from like you, um, med school Dylan, who I interviewed before and some others which is really interesting to see how that works out and it's a great time for that and yeah and actually i i i'm surprised i didn't ask this earlier but like what got you into medicine mm, that's, that's a good question so yeah. that i can give you the cliche answer i like helping people <laughs> mm-hmm. but like i don't think that's what you're looking for um there's a ton there wasn't one moment like this i can i can give you three or four moments mm-hmm. but it's more so about obviously like I've always like loved the sciences. You want to say that cliche thing as well, but it was more so like, it wasn't until like I was trying to like climb my way out of this GPA thing of, I noticed that my whole life, I've always loved solving problems. I've always loved the humanistic side of helping people. And I've always loved solving problems. And I thought, there's not a better career that brings both of those together that could be more fulfilling. Right. That's essentially like the grand scheme of it. I've had my own personal health scares and obviously I've worked in clinical experiences that have um, promoted that passion in like more into the medical field way. But I don't have a, I don't have a family uh, like friend or like family member who's a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't pushed to become a doctor. I, I mean, like it, it was all intrinsic. Like it just opened up throughout experiences, if that makes sense. No, of course. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause like, what's it called? Cause I always hear that too. And it's like people talking about how, why medicine? Cause it's such a hard question to answer sometimes, you know, yeah. cause it's like, mm-hmm. it can be so much. It's hard to sometimes pinpoint to one exact moment, but if there is, that's cool. That's great. You know, but um, 
because it's one of those fields that's very broad but also like yeah it, it's fascinating and like shoot i had a question but i'm trying to remember what it was oh yeah what's like one of the biggest problems you feel you see is out there in the medical field like the biggest challenge and it could be uh, whether you think it's in medicine or like even like getting to med school okay i i'm gonna hold that question i want to go back to your previous question because i have a point that i wanted to say we'll go yeah. back to that go for it so you said why medicine so i want to say one last thing so I'm going to pinpoint an example for you because people listen to stories. They don't listen to like talk. Mm -hmm. So in my post back, um, I don't know if you know, but I had a DVT at a D vein thrombosis Mm -hmm. in my arm all the way up to my jugular net and my jugular vein. And I remember specifically going to the ER, seeing my arm, it was all red and purple and veiny. And I had no idea what was going on. Um, it was misdiagnosed. They thought it was like I shaved my arm and I had like some infection. Oh. The ultrasounds came back negative. Like there was some crazy stuff that happened for about two, three days. So essentially, um, when they figured it out, it was a D- DVT. Um, they gave me heparin and then they put me on these long-term blood thinners. Mm. And I remember to this day too, it's another really pinpoint memory googling as any patient would how to secure dvt fast or how to fix dvt and one of the number one things that come up i'm not sure if you're aware of what they are is the thrombolytic mm-hmm. so they inject it which will obviously automatically remove the clot which would like let it dissolve it fast and i was pissed that they didn't give me a thrombolytic at the time because that would solve the issue. Now, the fact that they didn't give me a thrombolytic, the blood clot turned into scar tissue, which means it's blocking my my vein, which means I have like permanent kind of damage in my arm. I, I can't play basketball. It's annoying to work out, shampooing my hair, just like stupid day th- daily living things I can no longer do. I'm like, you should have just gave me a thrombolytic. And they said at the time that you can cause a brain bleed or stroke and you could die if there's a possibility the clot would go to that that, that uh, area of the body. And I remember I'm like, that's such a low percentage. Like, why don't you just give me the clot? Like, I, I don't I don't want these long-term damages. So it was through, like, long story short, it was over the next few months that through this, I stopped wanting quick fix answers. And that goes into your medical question of, sometimes there's not always a best answer sometimes there's not a right answer there's a this versus this both have pros and cons and you need to like like really meditate with them or like marinate with those decisions and not just jumping to what you think the quick fix is because i told you i've always loved solving problems but i always love solving problems fast and that's not the case for medicine right so i think that is a really thing that i'm currently working through and i'm i and i continue to probably will for the rest of my life but i think that kind of goes into the next question as well yeah definitely the whole um that, that that's an interesting perspective yeah because i'm also kind of similar where i kind of want a quicker answer or a quicker way to solve a problem and i feel like just a lot of people are but kind yeah. of learn learn to slow down and um really grapple with the, the decisions and i feel like that like it'd be interesting to see how more like working with the patient to come to a conclusion that works best for both of y'all or for you know works best, I guess is the way best way to say it. But um, that's not my realm to speak on. But um, what do you call it? Yeah. So kind of moving forward, what's like the biggest problem you notice in terms of the pre med journey, if you want to call it that? Yeah. So I like this quote they always say. Um, I don't even remember the quote, but it, what was it? 
It was something about the hardest thing about medical. Yeah, that is the hardest thing about medical school is getting into medical school. Mm. Um, I can't actually, I can actually agree with that. Um, it's definitely challenging right now, but the emotional mental toll you have as a pre-med or non-traditional or MCAT or comparing yourself on Instagram, student doctor mm. network, Reddit, all those things, I would not want to take those feelings back. Like I wouldn't want to go back to those days. The hardest thing is comparison and imposter syndrome, right? Like right. you hear about these 4.0 students or I started my own nonprofit organization or I got a 522 on the MCAT and I studied for four weeks. These are just subjective words. You don't know about their stories. You don't know what they've been through, but you're comparing your self versus their perceived self and you expect yourself to be able to equate to that and right. i think that's one of the most challenging things especially as a pre-med student in like an institution where it's like an iv or, or, or a heavy pre-med cohort where i think that is something that's extremely toxic and that's what i try to flex almost in my instagram is flex failure in a sense that it's like it's okay to fail we all fail to yeah. speak about it that way that like you people are people have anxiety and depression and all these mental issues because they don't open up about it because they feel like they're alone you're not <laughs> everyone yeah. goes through it so express yourself and you're going to be surprised at how good you'll feel quicker mm. make sense yeah definitely and I, okay. actually, I was going to ask you like a, like a follow-up, like what do you think yeah. has been the best way to kind of overcome that imposter syndrome? Because I noticed actually the last episode I did with Dylan, we talked a little bit about this idea of imposter syndrome, the comparisons, and it feels like a very common theme, which makes sense, you know, just given like you are in an area where you're competing, not necessarily competing with each other, but kind of competing with each other when it really should be more collaborating and bettering yourself. Yeah. But like, where are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that goes to, I'm assuming you know who Dr. Ryan Gray is on Instagram. Yep. He always says collaboration, not competition, right? Yep. I couldn't agree with that quote more. Um, how can you inhibit or avoid imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. But who you surround yourself with, right? Right. Um, I try, like if someone's toxic or someone's negative, I just don't talk to that. I'd say, oh, you're okay. And I, and, I, and I surround myself with like-minded people who have the same energy as I want, whether right. it's premed, whether it's business, whatever whatever major you're in, it doesn't matter. You'll mm -hmm. find the same like personality types if you're looking for them. Right. In pre-med, there's a lot of type A's, so you're gonna get a lot of competition. So it's obviously the percentage is less, but you yeah. wanna surround yourself with people who are supportive, right? Like right. Why, why, why surround yourself with anyone that you don't wanna become? That's another quote. You are your five best friends. Mm -hmm. um, so whoever, think about your five closest people, that's the average of who you are. So surround yourself with five people you look up to. It's cool. very simple. Yeah, and who are your five people? <laughs> um, I don't have I don't have five off the top of my head, but uh, in perspective, I speak to a lot of obviously upper year medical students, residents, and doctors, and I like to listen to Gary yeah. V and Dr. Eric Thomas. Like that's not medicine, mm -hmm. but that's just more like mindset things. Yeah, and I like to surround myself with obviously people that are pause like I'm. You see Jake on Instagram, or I'm not sure if you know who Dr. Fabi is. He's an orthopedic surgeon in San Diego. Um, but he has the same philosophy of just like that limitless, capable mindset. And he's trying to help pre-meds and med students. And it's just like, surround yourself with the same energy, if that's anything. Yeah. And energy is, you, you can't fake energy. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And since we can't, we've been throwing out a lot of names here. Just so let's... Um, throw so names, bro. Yeah. Just throw handles. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. But to like kind of make it a little easier for the audience, maybe for whoever's listening to find these people, who are like your five people that you would suggest like in the in the pre-med space? Oh wow. That's a good question. Um, number one, I would say jakegoodman.med. He's really good to follow. Obviously, Dr. Ryan Gray, so medical school HQ. I'm pretty sure that's his Instagram handle. 
Um, me, MD Motivator. <laughs> MCAT Bros is awesome, specifically for the MCAT as well. Mm-hmm. And then it's just, honestly, like, there's probably like 10, 15 other names I could drop, but it's personal preference. Right. They're all going to be getting the same message across. It's like when you watch a YouTube video about Krebs cycle, like there's nine people who explain it, but there's one that you connect with the most or makes the most yeah. sense to you. Just add a bunch of them, see who you like their stories or their posts, and then, then connect with them. Um, me personally, it's obviously like high energy people because that's mm-hmm. what I like. Some yeah. people like the more calm and mellow, but it, it's the same message of being limitless, right? So I think those are obviously in med school, Dylan is another great mm-hmm. account as well. But it's at the end of the day, we all know what, what's the thing too. Like I want to say too, it's like, you know, you need to do good GPA. You know, you need to make an agenda. You know, you need to have an accountability partner. You know, you need a mentor. Okay, great. You know it, but how do you go and implement it? And I yeah. think knowing versus doing are two different ends of the spectrum. Yep. So I think being okay with while you're going in that direction, like, okay, this didn't go right. I failed. How, how can I fix it? And just constantly adjusting like TikTok. I didn't start TikTok for six months because I was afraid my videos were going to be stupid. Mm-hmm. Guess what? They were stupid. But like, I, I kind of learned from them. I've gotten yeah. a little better at it. But the point is, it's like, you have to be okay with failure to ine- mm-hmm. inevitably get to where you want to get to. So I think it's just about getting started with whatever you're doing yeah. uh, in terms of your studies or in life. Yeah. And I, yeah, we, I feel like the failure aspect is so huge just because um, we were talking about like, you know, fl- like flexing failure, but also that failure is like probably the greatest teacher because I feel like at least at least personally with pre, the pre-med experience it's like this pursuit of perfection that doesn't exist mm-hmm. while ignoring everything that's like actually happening in terms of like failure you know if you're trying to aim for perfection one you're going to let yourself down mm-hmm. and two if you don't let yourself down you never truly grow you never truly grew right there's a I don't know Doc PJ Doc JP3 he's uh anesthesiologist in the Bay Area. That's another really good account. Doc JP3, he's a great Twitter, uh, TikTok as well. And he talks about failing forward. I like that quote a lot, fail forward. Every failure is an opportunity to grow, to learn. I work with a lot of MCAT students and they always say, man, it is so bad in the CP or so bad in the BB sections on the MCAT. And I'm like, that's great that you did bad. What specific sections? Like acid-based chemistry. That's great. Now we know a new area for you to go and learn to go and improve your score. Every time you fail, you can get better or you can be pissed that you failed and then just wallow in your own sorrow, right? So it's like, two different perspectives but it's the same situation and i think it's very important to see failure as good not only for your growth but then obviously when you can relate and help others eventually Mm -hmm. down the line as well yeah definitely and this is probably more of a hypothetical question do you think like a younger version of you would would kind of see that the same way or not mean not the same way but like how do you think like a younger version of you would react to that I would laugh at you. You probably turn the zoom off. He probably wouldn't listen to you. I think, like I said before, you don't, I wouldn't want to speak to the freshman version of myself because the message wouldn't instill. Mm -hmm. It's either someone who's been successful in high school, he's transitioning, they listen, or people who have gone through shit and now they want to learn. You have to be able to speak to someone at the point where they're willing to listen. So 
yeah, maybe he would have understood, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't have implemented it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to understand. And, and a lot of students that reach out to me or connect with me aren't the perfect. No one's like, I probably get like 2% of people that message me that are like good students, mm-hmm. like in a good place. But my goal is to get them there. It's like when they can relate, then they come up and it's like, then they want to learn. Like that's, I think that's extremely important. Yeah, I don't know if that's definitely. redundant or not. I hope that makes sense. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I was kind of maybe like, what's like, like one last parting word or like, what's like the most important thing you feel that someone should know um, that probably haven't talked about yet? What's one thing, why you put me on the spot. One thing is someone should know. Um, if, yeah, this is really, we haven't talked about this. Getting into medical school, I posted about it a few months ago. It's not about your IQ. It's not about how smart you are. I don't care what your background, I don't care about anything. If you really want to get to medical school, it's about really two things. Are you persistent and consistent at working towards it? And are you willing to sacrifice other things or prioritize other other areas of your life for a long period of time? Mm -hmm. If you do those two things, you'll ultimately get to medical school. At some point, you'll become a doctor. It doesn't matter who you are. If those are two things you do, you can do it. There's really nothing holding you back. Awesome. Thank you so much. And like, I really appreciate that because, again, it's so important to really just like remember that it, it's a process. It's not going to be black and white. It's not this like journey to be perfect to get into medical school. It's a process. And there's a lot. Like, luckily, there's a lot of great people like yourself and like others on Instagram, TikTok that are, you know, helping students to actually get to that goal that they have. Yeah. So that's the thing, right? So one last thing, one more parting word. It's like my biggest insecurity was my overall GPA because although I did really well the rest of my degree, that anchored my GPA. So I was always like, okay, great. I did all these things, but my GPA is still bad. Great. I did this. It's always bad. So whatever you're worried about or you're insecure about, or you feel is a weakness in your application, reach out to someone who's been there, who's now successful and ask what they did. Just go and learn. Don't feel like you're aimlessly trying to search for answers. Ask people who are in your similar situation what they did to overcome it and then go and do it. I think that's a really important thing. So you feel like you have an orientation or a structure towards what you're trying to accomplish or getting into medical school. Awesome. And yeah, and thank you, um, Zach, for joining me. And thank you everyone for listening. Um, And this is the Indecisive Pre-Med Podcast signing out. See you guys.